Hello, Heron. Hello, Tom. So just before getting on this call, I had a uh, phone call from a long survey, which is one of the greatest pleasures I have in my otherwise menial existence. Wait a minute, uh, from a what? From a who? It was an automated. It was an automated telephone survey ah. associated with the economy, politics, and then surprisingly, Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> which reinforced to me quite clearly that Girl Scout cookies were part of some large organized conspiracy, which has been my view for probably the past The New years. World Order, that's right, is being run by the Girl Scouts. They are the Illuminati, I think. That, that's what it is. <laughs> I think they're the SS of the, uh, the New World Order, yeah. And it reinforced a number of uh, um, interesting ideas uh, associated with unions and various other things before they finally got to the Girl Scout cookies, uh, and it all became very, very clear. I'm having a little trouble figuring out that segue from <laughs> the economy were they selling Girl Scout cookies? No, 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 no. It started with questions about the economy. Then it start, Then obviously the arbitrary political questions. Then questions about teachers' unions, which were all very negative and and kind of dichotomous. So I knew where they were going with that surveying. And then Girl Scout cookies, associated with what are they going to well, purchase? They any wait a minute. Let me ask you. Product? I'm still a little confused. Was was this? Do you think this was actually a survey, or was this just propaganda? It was a Rasmussen survey, and I know Rasmussen. I mean, Rasmussen kind of tears to the right spectrum, which is kind of what I expected with regards okay, so, to the. Pizza. They've got an axe to grind, but they're so they're asking questions to, so to lead you to answer in their way, surely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was very much. I was I was actually quite disappointed how blatant the teachers' union questions were. Um, but that aside, uh, <laughs> Wait, what was I, I do. I was, but I was a bit disappointed how blatantly obvious the teachers' yeah. union questions were. But I do like their statistics associated with how. Both um, they have a in- very interesting um, statistic associated with extremely disliking various political figures, and they track a percentage delta between this extremely like and extremely dislike. And I do follow them on Twitter. I follow about half a dozen um, national surveying just because I think the statistics are all over the place for all these uh, various entities. But this was the first time I'd ever gotten a Rasmussen survey. Uh, I've gotten a wide variety of other surveys, and the the trick really is just to keep them on the line, um, because certainly I'm, I'm not a U.S. national, which means that I don't vote in the elections, which means that they'll typically hang up on me almost instantly, uh, because I'm not important. Yeah, right. you know, I just pay taxes and live here. Uh, <laughs> right. so. Well, you know, it's actually <laughs> the fact that you're not voting, <laughs> like like voting really is important. <laughs> Well, for these yeah. surveys, I don't know. But anyway, I mean, it's often it's often quite amusing the uh, the kind of questions that. But um, it's funny because my wife previously would never answer these surveys, and I've always answered them. I mean, oh, even from a relatively young well, age. Well, so you have all the time in the world. I don't know how you do <laughs> all the shit you do, <laughs> but apparently. I actually- You've got yeah. all the time in the world. I don't think I necessarily have all the time in the world. It's just there's a, there are certain things that I have absolutely no time for, um, magazine sellers and various other things. I get a lot of telephone harassment, actually, automated telephone harassment, because five, maybe five or six years ago, tele- the telephone number we have as our home number 
was owned by a fellow who was obviously being chased by multiple creditors. <laughs> and when we picked up the number for the first year and a half, we got constant telephone harassment. And funnily enough, as you might believe, I utilized the internet in order to act. Firstly, I put up a web page that actively tracked all the numbers and all the places that were. And I actually got um, some of the enterprises were coming out of Canada uh, and I got the mounted police or whatever it's called in Canada to actually uh, file restrictions on a couple of the companies. One of the most harassing companies, the fellow who ran it, because I was able to track him down, turned out to be on the board of regents at one of Oxford University's like prestige colleges. I can't remember yeah. which one specifically. But it's amazing how these people take their harassment money and kind of you know make themselves look... Uh, look clean again but most recently i started getting harassing calls from bank of america associated with this fellow whose name escapes me now i used to oh, victor menendez that was his name and i started getting harassing phone calls at all times of the day and night from bank of america for this victor menendez you know when you get these calls after about nine thirty at night it gets really really boring and here's a really interesting fact heron we have our mortgage with Bank of America. Bank of America is the only bank that we maintain. We've basically gone through a number of other banks, but we just have maintained Bank of America for some unknown reason. I guess they've just pissed us off the least out of all the banks in the U.S. And when I, when I called up Bank of America to complain about receiving these harassing phone calls, the uh, schmuck, whose name also, if you'd asked me even only a month ago, I would have been able to remember told me that we should change our telephone number and it was perfectly acceptable for Bank of America to harass us. So having had that experience, <laughs> you can imagine that I'm... Number. Oh, man. After five years, the Bank of America just can't stop harassing us. So you can imagine from, I guess, what, what are we up to? Conversation 24 or something like that? Uh, yeah, something that like I have that. a certain degree of articulateness on the telephone and when... Um, the poor customer service schmuck called me back a few days later to ask how, what was this guy's cool name? Demarion. Demarion something. I had, I'd never had his surname, but I had his um, employee ID. I spent about an hour on the phone explaining why Demarion shouldn't have a job. And I also followed this up actually prior to getting that customer service call with a very well-documented letter explaining the circumstances and... Uh, Funnily enough, the telephone harassment has stopped following those letters, and uh, and I'm not sure whether Demarion still has a job. Um, but no, so I do get a wide variety of phone calls that I don't like, but I do like participating in surveys just because I actually absorb a lot of surveys and find them quite interesting in terms of seeing the, the final statistics. Yeah. And I'm always, as, as you have described, very... Um, because they never actually specify what the question is when they publish the statistics. So if you hear the question, and particularly with this uh, teachers' union question, you do get an amazing sense that these things are just about <laughs> totally skewing statistics towards sure. their own political persuasions. So. Yeah. yeah. But they do have my details now associated with my Girl Scout cookie purchases and my predicted Girl Scout cookie purchases <laughs> in the future. So that is the end of that. So I have, I have a few topics to discuss this evening, but I thought, you know, as, as you've had a number of conversations since we last spoke, is there anything you want to talk about? Um, well, there, there's one thing, an idea that dawned on me a couple of days ago that I want to put into the world, because I think... Okay. Uh, well, anyway, uh, have you seen uh, YouTube videos of babies, I mean, like one-year-olds playing with iPhones? Oh, not... 
not with iPhones specifically. Okay, well... Oh, actually, wait, wait, no, wait. Um, I think I have. Well, yes, if you I have... Well, anyway, it's, yeah. there, there are a lot of them up there, and it's yeah. not hard to find. And yeah. I, I've seen a couple of those, and I was just flabbergasted. You know, here's these little one-year-olds who can barely control their damn hands at all, <laughs> you know, mm. and yet they're able to navigate... And I, you know, uh, an iPhone or an i, uh, an iPod Touch, and mm. and figure out how to make it work. You know, I mean, rudimentary, but they're clearly engaged in that interface and working with it. And mm. that just stunned me. You know, and then I started thinking. What what struck me now is that basically, we need uh, to childproof an iPad. You know, get some. I think uh, we had this conversation. Oh, did we already have this? Oh, okay, yeah. Because the more I'm thinking about this, the more the more astounded I am, and and especially because this whole idea of how are we going to raise up the next couple generations of children uh, when their parents are such idiots and the school system Mm. is so so stupid, and I realize Mm. that you know younger and younger kids are getting access to the internet. And mm. and it was just it just seems clear that within maybe ten years or so, most very small children are going to have something like an iPad. You know, maybe a little smaller. You know, but but something that every three year old will probably have, say five mm. or ten years from now. And if they have access to the internet, that's the key to transforming the planet. You can go directly to the children, creating websites that that teach, for instance, the five stupidities of English. We don't need the school system. We don't need their parents. We don't Mm. need anything. We just can go. They're all going to be available. So if we pause that thought and we reverse back in time 50 years to, uh, well, actually maybe 45 years, to you sitting with two speakers on either side of your head, (laughs) music, I, I think it's even more fundamental than that. I think rather than thinking of these items of technology, you should think about the kind of corpuscles of information, like, for example, music. And music was a phenomenal awakening tool yeah, uh, for your generation. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think rather than thinking of the device as the, well, obviously it's the contents of the device that's going to make that the case. And this is what interests me about um, contemporary children's television and particularly music associated with that. I don't, I don't obviously have children, but the people I do know who are you know, remotely uh, connected to this uh, idea that we seem to be sharing at some level say that there is a kind of reemergence almost of psychedelic children's television currently and very much... Um, integration of music and other components and i think there are probably a number of levels to this thing but we shouldn't disregard the impact that music and other forms could have oh all of it absolutely music uh, i'm 100 percent with you on that one yeah if if uh, if popular musicians began talking about things that were meaningful <laughs> mm. you know that would be uh, yeah. Well, any avenue. It's just that the idea of education itself it, to, in, was stuck in my head. Is how you, how do you get to children through the school system and the parents without tipping them off with how revolutionary 
you're actually being. Okay, but here's an idea, because certainly the school system wasn't important for either of our awakenings. And if you look at, for example, nihilistic music, that is very impactful in terms of turning children away from traditional learning means and going and seeking out other methods of educating. So I think what you're probably talking about is not necessarily the formal or standardised methods or even ways of perturbing that, but really you just need to get uh, get children understanding that there's a plurality of educational media and... Uh, and engaging you know, them directly. Exactly. You know, exactly. That, that's the whole point, is that you don't need their parents, you don't need the school system. In a Certainly. few years, they're all going to be there. And if, you, if you're clever, if you know how to create websites, or, and again, not just websites, but video and music and everything, and can put it together in a way that gets word of mouth from kids, and there's plenty of word of mouth, <laughs> you know... Uh, mm. that could be, of course, that'll get you shut down too, of course, if it's too effective. <laughs> but in any mm. case, it just gave me great hope that it was possible to reach, I mean, it's not now, but it will be in a few years possible to reach virtually every child, you know, pro- I mean, in the, the, you know, in certain parts of the world anyway, uh, mm. directly. Certainly. Yeah, Certainly. That's, that's just and, inspiring to me. That's just, that's just got me all excited. <laughs> mm, mm. I guess that's the, yeah, that's the nature of multi-level media. And certainly I'm finding that currently in my writing because uh, I anticipate the 1993 writing will be out by the time I get back. It's mainly just getting a, a number of these things out to reviewers. And finally I've settled on a cover, although the spine is now the thing that I'm trying to fixed, but that should be fixed within um, two or three weeks, and then it'll be released out to the public. But I'm pretty pretty elbows deep in the sequel and exploring exactly what you're talking about in terms of the idea that, um, well, you know, the written word is really the dead media now, and it's not about creating these ideas well, in the written it. word. It's not dead. It's, it's part well, of the experience. You know, that's ex- yeah, my point is yeah. that the... The written media actually very few. If you look at video well, or various other ideas, printed media. Is that no, I'm not. I'm just talking about text. Okay, I'm talking right. about words. Okay, okay. Um, so, but I think that is the start. And if you don't embrace the words initially, you're not going to get the. Although you know, comics, what have you, a wide variety of different possibilities. Well, they have words. But, uh, they still have words. words. Well, okay, they're, they're a different media though. Yeah. They, they have yeah. a different. Uh, they yeah. have a different uh, reach. Yeah. So yeah, no, I th- I've, I've, in fact, really, this is the only thing that inspires me here, and so it's funny that this is something that you've, you've only recently. But I mean, you haven't only recently grasped it. It's just well, no, but I'm still putting the pieces that. together. You know, hmm. I mean, I, I've been aware of all these things for years and years and years, but they ha- they don't all connect up. You know, I mean, there there's still hmm. these new connections sort of forming. You know, and uh, and I can see again. I've always been looking for ways to get. My, you know, my shit into the world. And I haven't been very good yet at doing that. And mm. uh, because I just, well, it doesn't make any difference why, but I haven't been good at it. But the world is changing so quickly, and I'm beginning to see, you know, well, I mean, just, I, I know I've been very encouraged by the responses to the Stone Ape podcast. I, you know, I'm get, starting to get people, you know, showing up in my podcast and asking now and telling me that they got there through this so uh, 
you know, and I'm getting more downloads and I'm getting more feedback and and um, so it's kind of exciting to see that after all these years, you know, it's beginning to show up. The ideas are beginning to show up in my head and there are a few people that are interested now and um, so I'm really excited about all the possibilities here. Hmm. I, I do wonder, and this is this is more an aside associated with the dramatic and almost exponential increase in interest. And certainly, I haven't seen a cap on that associated with model rail radio yet. In fact, that is my really a, a central part of my inspiration. But certainly, what I've found in the artificial life community has been in contrast to that, because there really is a very fixed number associated with the people that have any kind of, well, focused interest. Yeah, you're not on, on the, the fence kind of about pocket. that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not you're at in all. it or yeah. you're out of it, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. but that's good so because I, it's clearly defined, though. That's helpful in some yes, ways. Yes, I guess yeah. in some ways, yeah. but I mean, in terms of actually introducing people to it and yeah. the kind of, I mean, you know, but I think the what interests me with these kind of ideas, I mean, as we discussed previously, model rail radio, word, 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 exactly clarifies everything associated with that thing and it's very easy <laughs> to get right. people yeah. understanding very quickly what you're doing yeah. however you know in your case uh gendo in my case whatever this thing becomes yeah. uh, in, in terms yeah, we of don't writing, have those cultural uh slots <laughs> to stick yeah. it in you know we're, we're having that's that's a good thing, I think, though. We get to experiment with language and try to find ways that resonate. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, mm. I mean, say Gendo, I've been stuck with Gendo for years now. I still think it's good. <laughs> you mm. know, uh, it doesn't seem, it, it well, in any case, uh, yeah, inventing language that's going to, that somehow communicates something to people who are confused about it to begin with. Mm. I, it was interesting. I, my wife and I share a car in large part because um, I don't particularly like cars as vehicles, but we share a car, which means basically my wife has a car. Yes, uh, and this evening she was on the other side of town, so I work about probably 40 minutes walk, walk from the house, um, and I probably walk maybe three or four days a week kind of time frame, and I like listening to podcasts through that oh, time frame, and I had I had gotten out of my um, – normally I have more podcasts to listen to than I have, you know, walking time available. But in recent weeks, in large part through um, running them at double speed, I've actually got through podcasts. So I re-listened to our do last conversation. That, do you find that satisfactory? I do on some conversations and other conversations I don't. I have very mixed feelings with regards to the double speed. I know some of our listeners listen to this at double speed, and I know some of our listeners don't listen to this at double speed because I do occasionally have that conversation with people. Yeah. Um, for me, for a lot of stuff, particularly news and uh, various kind of oh, more yeah, scientific, yeah. Right. these kind of things, I don't need it doesn't to, require yeah. any thought. Not really anything that doesn't require any thought, but anything where basically I, I can compress the information. There's not a lot of emotion. There's not a lot of humor. Yeah, yeah. Humor cannot be compressed. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to our last conversation, in particular the idea of the uh, sub-language human. And oh, really yeah. it yeah. 
it struck me, I, I caught myself as I was walking, it's quite cold here, I was caught myself actually chuckling to myself as I was walking through the cold, at the fact that I really, I'm starting to say things out loud that I probably never would have said <laughs> even six months ago, yeah, and it's yeah. your influence here directly, <laughs> oh, and, and actually putting words together to, to describe, but I think the thing that you may, and I tried to emphasize this through but attacking it from a number though. of different... you're right, you do need to be careful, it's it's exhilarating to speak your mind, but it can get you in a lot of trouble. Yes, the gulags of the UK are beckoning. Uh, but no, I, it, it made me realize that I was actually verbalizing something that, um, I really hate the term verbalizing, but I was saying out loud things that I had really considered quite central in my kind of general being in terms of way of actually interpreting what was going on around me. But it was interesting that your description associated with the language monkey, in particular the notion of even an intelligible narrative, I really think yeah. that there are, there is a, there, and this in large part comes through what I've done with Noble Ape. Once yeah. you create simulated uh, intelligent agents, simulated beings, and you let them run, you realize that there is really very little need for a lot of, higher order, oh, even yeah. even yeah. residual intelligence, yeah, yeah, because yeah. things just work yeah. uh, remarkably well together. And I guess that's my sense associated with even people that have a kind of linguistic, uh, I don't know, haze or narrative that is going on internally within them, is that they are still operating, at, at least they're dealing with kind of scripted logic from from the Noble Ape uh, perspective. Mm. And I think that is still higher order versus, I guess, yeah. The, See, I, I'm really still is... astounded by your observations because I, I can't recall uh, <laughs> running into somebody like, like you're talking about. I mean, the, there are, I do know some people that are really stupid, mm. but, but that's not quite the same thing. No, know? it's not at all. And, and I think even... Even stupid people are not sub-language. I think the, well, yeah, the that, quality yeah. of sub-language yeah. is, is a quality where there really is nothing... You're suggesting you, you know, that the language you're, machine you're, is just broken. It's not functioning at... Or that it does sometimes and, and not at others? Is that, I mean, is someone, if they're sub-language, is that it for them? Or is it just that sometimes they're in that mode and other times they're in a mode where language is functioning? I don't think there needs to be a false dichotomy applied here. The point that I'm making well, is... Well, I don't think the, it could be both at the same time. I think there is a dichotomy. Well, uh, well okay, but let, let me describe the, the kind of narrative that the language monkey needs to have is still above, I think, the narrative of a group of the population. So even if you have a uh, incoherent to the outside world, but coherent to yourself story that you are living to, yeah. you are still a, 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 yeah, above yeah, yeah, a certain you. group yeah. of the population. Yeah. And my point was that I think this... You see, when you say 98% of the population are unconscious language monkeys, I think you don't it's think actually about... Yeah, because you no, think I, there's I, some I, who are sub-language. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, what, yes. and what percentage, again, do you think that is? I was saying 10 to 20%. I think that's a safe percentage. And Jeez. I think certainly from yeah. my own experience... You're the, only, you're the most... You're even more cynical <laughs> than me. I can't believe you see, it. It's just I shocking know. me. I 
on, on probably a number of levels, Sarah. This is the reason that no one, I, I find it almost impossible to have political discussions with people as well, because I'm, you know, I tend to be in various extreme pockets which are just beyond, you know, general conversation. Well, you're much more but, forgiving. So you're saying there are 20% of the people that you don't think it's worth talking to. I, I think it's 98% of the people that are... No, 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 no. Here's, here's the distinction that you... I think, as I said last, um, last conversation, that what you're actually doing is mapping what you believe are the worst aspects of yourself onto 98% of the population. You are you are uh, trying to reform or have reformed these aspects within yourself, although you still catch sure, yourself. Yeah. But this is this is an internal embodiment of an external form that you are trying to, I, I guess you're um, projecting onto a population where I think your projection is, in fact, completely artificial because a good portion of the population doesn't have the the even what you are trying to project. Oh, I, un I understand that. I'm not under any yeah. illusions about that. Yeah. I, that's why I just do it the way I do. I put my stuff out there, and if somebody is interested, they respond. Mm. You see, I think... And I, I think, think it's a very small percentage, you know. But here's the, here's the right. point. Once you acknowledge that there is a sub-language population and then there is a kind of, I don't know, linguistic trance percentage of the population and then there's the enlightened uh, few well, there you go you just did that very nicely <laughs> then you have then you have i think i think you can actually start exploring converting language monkeys Oh, I think, in a very yeah, meaningful oh, way. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. If they're that high level, yeah, there's a, some form of drug therapy with hypnosis <laughs> or something. Uh, it, it's it would have to be pretty drastic, I suspect. Uh, you see, you you come from former language monkey stock as well. You actually are an we example. All do. Of <laughs> We're all from that stock. So, so this is the point that you see. I guess. Certainly listening to a lot of your more recent conversations, there is a very strong, almost hypnotic rep repetition associated with, with a number of these conversations. But I think if you actually start deconstructing the See, components... that's only because you're listening to a bunch of them. When I'm talking with an individual, it's a completely different thing. There's no objectivity. There's no uh, understanding across the different things. It's just me talking with somebody. At the, at the level they're at. And if a lot of them seem to be at the same level, then uh, the talks uh, may sound repetitive, but it's not repetitive to a single one of them. True. This is why I created the Stonate podcast. This is exactly the reason that I created this podcast, because if people came to Genda and listened to it episode after episode after episode, <laughs> they would just hear an echo, basically, of former conversations. It's the same old shit over and over again. Same old Which stories. Is, is, yeah, right. it, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> this is what I'm hoping to try and do with, with whatever is being created here. But I think the, the interesting thing that comes through it is that you are now, you're right, you, you're getting a different caliber of lunatic in your uh, general discussion. <laughs> the fellow who had the colon in his name. Oh, yeah. Was he, yeah. was he, because that was the linguistic fellow associated with the Arizona. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's are they related? The are they guy, some, David he's into the same guy. Oh, yeah, right. David yeah. Whitfield, right. Yeah. yeah. So when you started, I don't think, I'm not sure whether I listened to that conversation in whole because I got really quite irritated with the number of the points that he was making. But um, 
did he actually talk about David Wynn Miller through your com- recorded conversation, or did you know about that prior, or how did that come well, up? Well, I sort of guessed it from the colon. <laughs> I mean, well, I've never seen anybody else put a colon between their names. Did you raise that with him through the conversation, oh, yeah. or was it something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is it in recording? I might have missed it. Uh, it must be. Okay, you I'll know, go I never listen to these things. I have no idea now what the hell's in yeah. there. I, I guess the narrative of kind of isolationism, superiority, and being armed but not actually doing anything. I mean, this is the thing that really frustrates me about the Second Amendment, and particularly advocates of the Second Amendment, is that I just can't believe that people that are so passionate about the Second Amendment have never actually used the Second Amendment to make the kind of changes that... Uh, they believe are needed to be made. There's, there's some great contradiction within that. that well, a few you know, of them have. One of, remember Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> well, except, except, well, yes, you're right. It, it is very much the lone nut. But the whole, the militia is not an individual. They're just in fact a group fundamentally. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I think the. Uh, so I guess I get a sense of irritation whenever I hear folks such as the Colin fellow because. I really don't think that they're making any impact on my life, and they're certainly not well, moving I towards think, any... No, what they're trying to do is fix the caterpillar. No, they're not. They're have... not even doing that. Well, it's all what, psychological. What, anyway, it's but it's all about the yeah. old way. It's all about... I mean, this guy's interest in the law. It's all about <laughs> uh, getting in and deciding what these words really mean and then going in in front of yes. somebody and arguing about word meanings as though they give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, as though Not anybody gives a shit, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it was, one of the things I've learned is when I'm talking to somebody, I, I mean, I just become a whole lot, well, I'm very critical, but I keep it to myself. I just, yeah, I know. I just it's a frustration listen. of mine. Oh, no, no, <laughs> well, it, but it, it, it really, people, people won't change unless they actually think they're heard. And so mm, that's an interesting point. I would agree with that, but I would also sow the seed of disbelief, perhaps slightly more well, aggressively. Oh, well, you mean, well yeah, let's just say I think I do it quite well, but it may be under your <laughs> radar. It's subtle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, no, that's certainly my intention. It's absolutely my intention. Uh, but mm. I know that if I if I just come out like I normally do, I'll never hear from again. Uh, the the conversation will be over because they won't. I mean, if I if I told them what was actually going on in my head, they'd be really offended by it. So yes. there's, if I if I so I, I'm really being an actor, I guess, in a sort. But actually, I don't I don't even think it that way. I, I it's easy for me to do that, and um, and I think it leads to interesting conversations. You know, mm. I mean, it's good to hear people like that talk. Mm. You know? I, I would agree. I guess I guess. Certainly listening to your uh, repertoire, let's call it that, I'd just like to see more of these people return. And you have these really quite passionate and interesting conversations with people, and then you never hear from them again. Yeah, well, if I was better at what I did, then probably I'd get them. (laughs) But see, somewhere deep inside, they know that I'm going to fuck with them. (laughs) Mm. I Mm. think that's probably it. You know, yeah. I'm not good enough at disarming them. They know what's going on in my head, even if I don't say it. <laughs> yeah, it was very curious. I guess that was one of the conversations, and I do get them occasionally where I just get so frustrated. And if he does talk about David Miller, I will have to go back and re-listen to uh, the latter part. I think I probably stopped about halfway through with him. 
because I am really, I'm, but maybe I don't even need to hear this. I mean, I've actually read David Wynn Miller, and I yeah. know probably enough about it that I no, don't need to. No, we, and there was no. This guy certainly is no expert on that. He he mentioned. I don't even remember what we talked about, but I I, I don't think it went very far, other than just acknowledging it. Hmm. So it's probably not worth listening to. Us. Yeah, in terms of, um, did you get a sense, I mean, our initial discussion associated with David Wynn Miller, and in parallel, one of our listeners, uh, even prior to our discussion, I didn't even see the post, had, uh, had posted about David Wynn Miller and your interpretation of that. The thing that interests me about David Wynn Miller is not the distinctions between uh, his views and your views, but the way, I mean, has he... Has he been able to capitalize on this? Does he sell books? Is oh, there I think a way he, he, I think he makes a living at it, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's an audit. So, See, that's the thing. That's why I think there's hope for me. See? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think there might be a David Wynn Miller blueprint for Becker and learning. That's why I learn from everything I observe. I'm, I'm looking at all this shit. I think I'm a couple of years away from being able to make my living um, sitting right here with my headset on. Mm. Or even better, as you've described, actually going out and talking well, to people. And doing, well, and all of that. Yeah. Actually, yeah, right. Yeah, when that comes. But I think I, I, what I want to do is base it here with my headset. I want to do it mm. in the Matrix. I don't want to have to uh, have people, you know, I mean, it just makes it a lot easier to get to students and, and people who might want to consult with me. All we True. need is voice. I don't need to see them. I don't yeah, want to see them. Also, but yeah, I mean, in other points, you said it would be wonderful to go to conferences and oh, have sure. people. Uh, yeah, I'm on for that. that. So, oh, no. I mean, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have anything against that. I just want to base it uh, on this, and then wherever else it goes, that's fine. You know, and as I base it, I just want to make it as easy as possible for myself. <laughs> you know, which doesn't get any easier than this. Hmm. So the second, the second topic of, uh, that I wanted to raise this evening was that I put my brother in town recently, and it's created a really quite strange deconstruction in me, which has kind of represented itself in a wide variety of emotions, but mainly just a sense of remorse on some really strange level. When was level. the last time you saw him? Uh, probably three years ago, but we are very different people. And he lives in Australia. He lives in Australia. He works for the equivalent of the IRS in Australia. <laughs> and uh, his hobbies are basically cameras. And um, I don't know whether he pays models, but he, he has this relationship where he goes out and photographs very curious-looking female models, typically in front of motorbikes. And that's really his hobby. He dated a woman, for, in fact, they lived in the family home for about two and a half years. Um, but she went on and actually started dating a fellow that looks very visually similar to him. Uh, and as I'm friends with her on Facebook, I, I still see photos of her and this new man uh, together. But he strikes me, he, he is a very curious character, as I guess all, even my wife has acquired this after she married me. Um, or tend to. But the thing that strikes me is we really have nothing in common. And when we spend time together, we're really just spending time in each other's presence. Yeah, nothing to say. Yeah. It's actually quite striking because as we have these conversations, could you imagine sitting opposite me for an extended meal where I didn't say anything? Oh, well, listen, I mean, I'm only, that's why I became a hermit. I found those <laughs> kinds of relationships just intolerable. I, I decided I was not going to have shit like that in my life, and I ended it. Yeah, I'm at peace with it. I don't think I need to be um, 
even semi-intellectually intense in all circumstances. In fact, I'm actually quite comfortable... I mean, I'm going up oh, to the Bay Area. If there's goodwill, if there if there's a feeling of camaraderie, I have friends that we don't have to talk about anything, but I still mm. like them. Mm. So no, I, yeah, you're right. No, if I still really like somebody, silence is fine. But uh, mm. if if I've got nothing going at all and and silence, I'm out of there. Mm. Mm. The the I mean, my brothers are twins. They're eight years younger than me, and basically, I raised them after my and father. This is just left. one of them, or you've seen one, one of you've them. seen them all. Well, no, no, they're completely different. Actually, my other brother is considerably more gregarious, and we have a lot more to talk about. Ah. And I think he's a lot more engaging. The thing with my uh, the the brother who's here is that he's just not particularly engaging. My wife is very good, actually, at seeking him out, and certainly she spent a lot more time talking with him uh-huh. than I did. I was, yeah. I was more present. Although she likes photography, and she had a lot of discussions associated with camera equipment yeah. and techniques and these kind of things. It's funny because he, he refers to me not in the third person, but certainly in my presence as if he knows a lot about me. But he doesn't actually engage me in conversation, which is a really quite curious trait. Um, But no, it's funny because, I mean, he's getting older. He's now in his, I guess, late 20s. Um, (laughs) Oh, man, he's getting up there. (laughs) Well, you know, know, this is when your body starts falling apart, I mean, truth be told. Um, And it strikes me that we are, I mean, through life experience, considerably different. But I'm certainly very much at peace with him. Um, And it's one of these curious things where, I guess, you know, you don't really acknowledge that people live in parallel to you in completely different circumstances until you actually spend time with them. So we spent solidly probably two and a half days together, and we did things like uh, we went out to Hoover Dam, and we we did various things with my life, but she was working over the period, and I actually took time off work. Um, So we went around mainly to specific locations, and then we went to camera stores, because I couldn't think of anything else to do with him. So we just went to camera stores. I offered that we should go to some second-hand bookstores. He has a Kindle. Uh, he reads kind of curious fiction, so he's relatively self-contained, unlike, unlike my um, addiction to paper. Um, but no, I mean, we spent a good amount of time together, and we'll be going up to the Bay Area. The Bay Area, actually, I have a lot more to show him, because he has some interest in technology companies. We'll be meeting some of my, um, I don't even know what you'd call them, some of the folks I work with at Apple, uh, and we're spending a day and a bit with Bruce Damer and seeing the Digibarn and all this kind of stuff. And we'll probably spend a good amount of time in San Francisco, but we have completely different interests, um, which means that I guess it'll be a, I don't know, a kind of continuation of the catching up trip. He did, I mean, obviously my grandfather in Australia passed away and he was there for the funeral and although in considerably less traumatic circumstances he identified um, my grandfather's body as I identified my wife's grandmother's body um, so you know we had a we took the dog out for a walk and had a bit of a chat about you know coming to terms with uh, deceased uh, you know deceased entities yeah. um, but no I think I guess my if, if I would use the term frustration he doesn't understand women on any level and I strikingly Does my anybody well, Shit, I don't understand people. Do you? <laughs> act, I mean, it's, it's true. Men or women? <laughs> yeah. I can un- actually anyone I can understand. I'm not interested in spending any time with. <laughs> mm. I guess. Well, it's not about. I mean, I think the the thing that I got from your discussion with your um, film producer uh, 
conversation was this notion that there is really a four to or five to one ratio that is associated with married life, and that is very much wait, about. Wait a minute. What's oh oh you mean in reciprocity? You mean yes, you can do yes. five. Uh, you have to do five good things for every shitty thing you do. Yes, no, okay, yes. I got you. Yeah, and if you get down to a three to one ratio, you you're really in trouble. Know that. Yeah, you're yeah. in trouble. Well, <laughs> it depends I... on the severity. These have to be weighted. You know, I mm. mean, th- th- you're mm. you're giving the composite figure when you say five to one. Mm. I yeah. mean, if you you know well never mind but you no but it, no it, no I I would say that it is actually it becomes very relative and I look at this in particular with my sisters in law uh, that they one of them dates what well, dates is married to a man who is very um, well I, I think downright abusive would be the the yeah. term I mean yeah. physically and mentally yeah. and financially and life writing thing. Yeah. And uh, it is very much that that is then on a level where the reciprocity needs to be in that magnitude. And in my magnitude, it is leaving the trash in for a little bit too long or, you know, not cleaning up after a cat or these kind of things. So I think these things are all very relative. But the point that I would make with regards to my brother's understanding of women is that women don't want other women. Well, I mean, some do but they don't want to date people that are completely effeminate. And I have a number of quite effeminate tendencies, as my wife regularly points out. But I do I do realise that I can't be completely effeminate in the company of women, otherwise, you know, not, not my they sexuality. Won't, they won't fuck you. Exactly, exactly. And this is something I learnt pretty early on. I mean, I think yeah. there's a fundamental lesson that has to be learnt there. Well, see, but you're talking about monkeys. You're not talking about conscious <laughs> entities here. You're talking about catering to the monkey. Mm. And, and that's good to know. You're right. You should know that. But that's monkey business. Mm, I guess he talks a lot about wanting to be married and wanting to have children and all these kind of things. Yeah. And I think he disconnects... He, he's not stupid, is he? I mean... He's clearly not stupid. No, he's educated. Well, educated, okay, but I mean, is he stupid? I mean, some people have no, you know, I have, a, I have one friend who has Asperger's syndrome. Yes. And that's really quite interesting. They're, they, people are really a mystery to them. Mm. You know, they you just, would think that you might have subtle Asperger's, would you, Harry? Uh No, I think I have OCD. But that verges into Asperger's. Well, yeah, oh, the, that's a whole, yeah, yeah, I'm probably in there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had a boss in the UK, and his, this is the boss who was the, I think, the large part, the causal reason for my other uh, fellow who committed suicide. When I met his wife for the first time, her, her introduction to me was, I think so-and-so, this boss has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And I said, I would have thought Tourette's over Asperger's. <laughs> uh, Listen, I got it. Listen, I know how it's pronounced, but you got to admit, Asperger's is a lot funnier. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a continuum, and certainly genetically, if you spent time with my father, you would think that he had solid doubts of that. Well, see, I'm quite serious when I tell people that I'm brain damaged. Everyone hmm. thinks I'm just being clever or funny and playing little word games, but no. Hmm. I think we are all. I mean, really, just about every human being, I would imagine, I think is brain damaged if you take that as being less than optimally programmed. Hmm. And oh, I wired. think the governing set in with us all. I mean, you know, well, I mean, quick... I mean, really, I mean, you have to look at this in a long evolutionary perspective. This particular hardware that we've got 
running different software could be probably thousands of times more creative and intelligent. Mm. But and, from, and so we're all brain damaged. But from the first day of school, even prior to the first day of school, the first interactions with our with parents... With the nurse, probably, before you even go nurse, home, exactly. yes. They we do. are being educated very carefully about what, the way in which we absolutely. need to behave in this yes. dubious society. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's what I'm saying. No. Is it's, it's, it's literally hardwired into our brains on levels way below any intellectual conceptualization. You know, it's... It's deep down in our guts about who we are and what we, you know, what what's valuable and what's not, and and we're all deeply fucked up. <laughs> yes, I think, but yeah, I think a good portion of the population would embrace some aspect of that. Well, but we're, the thing is, we're in rehab. You know, we are getting better, and I think this is part of the time we are living in. Is that we've been like that? That condition has been around for probably hundreds of thousands of years now. Mm. A hundred thousand years, anyway, and it's only in the last couple thousand years that it's begun to change. And now, you know, it's a topic of conversation. <laughs> it was a topic of conversation in Plato's time. Um, yeah, not really. I mean, it was among Plato and three other people. <laughs> you know, that that wasn't. I mean. Well, you know what I mean. There, there's a, that elite thing going on mm. throughout history. It's been a tiny oh, oh, group okay. of people. Oh, let's 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 pause here. So we have we have the sophists. The sophists are post-Platonic, but Plato. I mean, Socrates was was part of a tradition that he, he's represented in writing, and probably the most famous of that tradition. But there was certainly a tradition of dialogue, and you're right, it was probably, you know, very particular people in a very particular place that engaged in that. But I also think that there's some aspect of that playfulness which is fundamentally childlike, and really the aspects of make-believe that children have is in large part about imagining what-if scenarios which are actually mm -hmm. there. So I think you're right on some level that thinking of make-believe in terms of adult life and what we've created does take a particular kind of person, but I don't think it's something... I mean, this is, this is, we've had this discussion before, but when I was in the UK, my co-workers had this view that, you know, people in the Dark Ages had no conscious entity, that they were just, you know, they were just, oh, I'm dirty, filthy, nothing to do here, you know, this kind of stuff, and only the kings and the royalty were capable of having any kind of intellectual uh, discourse. But my view has always been that children make toys out of nothing. I mean, they've done that for... Yeah, but they get that creativity kicked out of them by the time they're 14 or so. Well, a portion of them do, but I mean, I think Most there's always going to be... At least in my culture, at least in this culture. I mean, maybe there are cultures where they preserve a child's inquisitiveness. Um, I'd like to know where that is, because I'm going to go live there. <laughs> mm. Well, I think there are aspects of that, certainly. I mean, if you... I've kind of gone through a, a reawakening of extreme nerdism in recent weeks, hence the... Uh, the uh, I don't even know what... The imitation that I did last podcast for, uh, for your particular amusement. But I think there is probably a group of... But they probably lack in other areas. This is the thing. They're not the people that... Uh, you know, the, the general populace would want to interact with anyway because they're just so extreme in their own uh, in their own particular vision. So I think, 
Yeah, I think they do exist, and I think there's always hope within um, within a dubious society. But you're right; they're not the uh, they're not the political pillars or the uh, you know the intellectual visionaries that uh, you know the popular culture is willing to adopt as their own. So yeah, in that regard, it is true. But I don't think that they don't exist. I just think that they have the funk associated with them, and the funk is very dense in some circumstances, which stops them from actually being the kind of people that others would look up to or consider visionaries. Yeah. Well, we're in that transition, though. That's exactly, I think, you've just drawn the line between the last 50,000 years of human conditioning and whatever the hell it is we're going to do next. Yeah, no one needs to smell us in order to listen to us. That's the... uh, (laughs) That's the... And they don't need to look at us, and and it wouldn't help if they did. Yes. I think it would get in the way. Oh yes, you know, yes. if this was on video, you know, we could do that. We could both record these and put the two heads side by side and put it in there, and they could watch this shit. What a, you know. Well, I think the fact that we do this, and certainly this has been the feedback from Gerald DeYoung and others, the fact that we do this in audio form means that they can do other things while they listen to us. And I know we've had some discussion. I yeah. think that people still pay attention in those circumstances, and you and I people don't pay attention well, not to enough. Not enough. I want exactly. 100%. Man. Yeah. Anything less than 100%, and I'm not satisfied. Yes, yes. <laughs> But, uh, well, the, the information is getting in through, and I mean, through repetition in the case of, you know, probably both our discussions. 20% is better than nothing, man. I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah. But um, so I guess that's my broad kind of thoughts associated with my time spent with my brother. The main thing that I get out of this, and I found this really in the late evening. I've not been sleeping properly recently in large part. Was he actually staying with you? No, he. he, Yes, he was. He was. He was. And that typically really perturbs me. If my in-laws stay here, I literally go nuts. I can't actually sleep. You should go stay in a hotel. (laughs) I think very much so. In fact, I would probably cause. But yeah. He is was less impactful, mainly because he actually... My wife was working through this period, so we needed... As we have one car, we needed to get her to work. Um, and then we'd typically go off and do things or, you know, shower, we'd do whatever. Um, but the... Yeah, he was less impactful than my in-laws being here, mainly because he didn't turn the television on loudly and, you know, every pronounced <laughs> conversation. oh, God. I know. I know. But anyway, so... Well, it's your own fault for having one. Well, you see, as we started (laughs) describing last time, I tried to convert and almost had my father-in-law converted with regards to Netflix. Yeah. The main problem I have with television is advertising. I think... I mean, I don't watch television. I wouldn't watch television even with the ads removed, but I do appreciate Netflix for the ability to present things that I want to watch without advertising that I can also turn off at no financial penalty. Yeah. Because that's always been the problem now, that you get financial with video and drama and movies and all sorts of things. It, it's the environment of television that is so pathological, and that in almost complete form is due to the advertising format sure. that is yeah. put around yeah. television. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but even that determines the, the uh, to a large extent a lot of the shows themselves are just selling stuff. Mm. You know, selling personality, selling uh, mm. styles of clothing. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So, um, but uh, I don't know. It's funny. I, I sleep very lightly anyway. We've reorganized because we had the um, grandmother's furniture arrive. 
Our bedroom is now more like a hotel room than it has ever been previously, although thankfully I, I have a couple of bookshelves in there, um, which is very useful. So our, our whole sleeping area has been realigned, but I think I'm going through some kind of strange deconstruction through my writing currently as well. I had described probably very early in our conversations the ideas that I was trying to explore through my contemporary writing in terms of um, parallel, uh, completely distant narratives that had uh, perturbing impacts on, on either side. And this idea almost that you could have a description of um, the internal mechanisms of one of the characters in a very... Uh, very narrative-driven way, which had impacts on whatever was going on externally, but also represented perfectly an internal world. And I think part of this is an exploration, not necessarily of mental illness, but almost, I guess, in 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 um, Stonian terms. Well, listen, the... listen, I'm going to have to stop you already because okay. because the ver the first proposition that you made. Okay, uh, I'd like you to do that again because. I was going to say I'm not sure I understood it, but actually I'm sure I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so, as you found in my 93 writing, there is a kind of fictitious account, and then in parallel to this, there is an account which, from from my perspective at least, not from at least one of the other participants' perspectives, but from my perspective at least, is a virtually verbatim account of something that occurred. And the notion that these things exist in parallel or are intertwined is is relatively secondary in the 93 writing. But as people may read that and pick that up, and if they start intertwining that in their own reading, then they get a completely different story at the end. So this was a form that I was, I guess, experimenting with when I was about 17 or 18. But it's a form that I feel very passionately about now because it is a, a vehicle that describes a, a greater richness of tapestry through a narrative alone of uh, a series of events. And I think the the way in which it's done is almost like a se revealing a series of secrets out of order. So, for example, um, what's attributed to Plato's Republic is that you can read it um, multiple times, 15, 20 times. And as with a number of other works, um, you get something completely different with each read. And the way in which that is constructed is very simple. It's either a reversing story where basically the facts are laid backwards and you pick up a series of facts one time and then from your first collection of facts you pick up another series and so on. But it's also a very interesting vehicle in writing. And to have two kind of parallel universes, one perhaps hyper-realistic and one hyper-surrealistic uh, and have these two things intertwine is a very interesting way to actually tell a relatively basic story but give a greater impact through that. So in my own writing, what I'm finding is that I can kind of like... Because the sequel to the 1993 writing I had already written in my early 20s. But I haven't gone back to that. I just know the various kind of stepping stone stories that lead through that. But now having read... You see, the 1993 writing has become a thing in and of itself which is greater than when I originally wrote it, particularly having gone through it, you know, 20-odd times <laughs> and actually reading more into it and getting this... So I now have a greater sense of the kind of construction of this. 
but I don't know. I mean, really, because I'm yet to kind of throw the book out into the into the wild and see what others think of it. I'm still very much in a kind of internal dialogue associated with how to put the sequel together. But also at the same point, I've actually quite heavily rewritten parts of it, and I'm really thoroughly enjoying this whole process, Aaron, as oh, you may I get from yeah. the description, because it enables me to be firstly very cathartic. For example, there are a few characters that have to exist there, but I can introduce other characters that I know very well, but can introduce in, in kind of other areas. I reflect on Doug Rushkov. Um, I spent quite a bit of time with him in 2000, and he was writing his book, which was originally called Bull, and then went on to be called uh, Exit Strategy, I think. And that basically borrowed from, including, there's a character in there that's based on me at the time, borrowed on a number of people that he knew in his immediate kind of friendship circle, and then constructed what was a relatively, you see all these I'm reading another book currently who's written by... The book was written by a, a Biota fellow, in fact, one of the first Biota interviews I did. And it's a very heavy-handed kind of distant future book. And I really felt that way with regards to Rushkov's treatment in Exit Strategy too. that it was a very heavy-handed kind of contemporary account but pushed in 100, 200 years ahead with a few kind of technical twists. But it already feels very heavily dated. Um... And similarly, I get the sense with Dave Kerr's writing as the fellow I'm reading currently, um, something very similar, that it's just too heavy-handed, distant future. And really, the only way to do distant future properly is to make it so completely fantastic and disconnected with contemporary reality that the effects, the, the things that are you know, part of the environment are no longer connected with stuff that we have any contact with, but the meta-ideas, um, I don't know, greed... Um, bitterness, you know, whatever you want to put in there, are still exist and, and can be. See, kind but of those add. are just the things that we need. Those are the things that need to change. People's, True. People think yeah. that's some sort of human nature, yeah. and really, it's nothing but bad programming. I agree. I agree, and I think that's the for, for what I would call, I guess, distant, um, distant science fiction or science fiction that is considerably in the future. That's really the kind of stuff where imagine well, if most greed, humans won't relate to it at all. But imagine if greed was um, equivalent to, uh, I, I guess, pedophilia in modern culture, or um, there you go. Yeah. I think of something else like that. So that yeah. that would be a perfect distant future yeah. because there you're exactly making your point, but also you can address the issue in a very abstract sense. So. Uh, what I'm trying to do is kind of different to that, but I do like the elements of putting in occasionally incidental characters that have been people that I have known through my life as a way of almost um, forgiving their foibles, which is quite a curious thing in and of itself. But I'm having... But, but I'm that doing... you should think they need forgiveness or that they need forgiveness? <laughs> that they need... Well, no, that the characteristics that I found irritating or... Um, to distance them from me fundamentally yeah. are also characteristics which, you know, when written down, are things that probably would add an element of humanism to the writing. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun with this. I'm doing it in the late evenings as well, which means it's typically the last thing that I work on. 
uh, before I go to bed. I normally read before going to bed, but now I kind of read and then work on this and then go to bed. And the thing that strikes me is that I then wake up in the morning with a wonderful set of new ideas and new connections, which is really kind of sustaining me currently in a strange kind of, I don't know, psychotic, intimate, almost, I don't know, intellectual masturbation kind of dialogue, which, because it's connected to this thing that doesn't exist in any real form other than, you know, a text file currently, will only become something in probably a year's time when, you know, others start consuming it. But it's funny because this is very heavily part of my... It'll be a text file, won't it? Well, yes, but it'll exist in something that others will read. But this is very part of my DNA because this is basically the lives of my parents. I mean, in my father's case, academically, and continues on in my mother's case with regards to some non-fiction but majority fiction. And this is still the way my parents, on some level, live their lives, Mm. kind of vicariously through their writing as a means of dealing with everything else. Um, But it is something that I'm actually finding quite nourishing currently and is, you know, large part connected with the fact that I've spent the past year and a bit getting this writing that I worked on in 1993 in a form where I feel comfortable sharing it with anonymous people. Um, But it's a very interesting process, and I think it's quite... um, Well, it's fundamentally about production. I mean, that's what it's about. Uh, it's about self-exploration and, in stark contrast to that, production. I'm not sure I understand what you mean by production, then. You're putting something out that others consume. You're producing something. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Hmm. Okay. Because what you do in podcast form is really equivalent to almost busking without the financial part of it. I mean, basically, we are performing on a digital street no, corner. No, that's not true at all. That's, that's an interpretation. That's not the way it is. That's a way of looking at it. True. I mean, and there are many ways of looking of at it that are quite different than that, and they're equally true. True. But a, a potential perspective on this in terms of what we are doing is considerably more about almost uh, performance than well, it is about whatever that. works. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I was a teacher for a while too, and I know that that's a, to a large. It's you know, you're performing. I mean, that's part of the the game. Mm. You know, in front of a classroom. If you're not, unless you, you know, you make you're you're performing. Whether you, the only question is whether you're conscious of it or not. <laughs> certainly, certainly, but um. So, no, I'm finding it very nurturing currently, and also, I guess, in part, I'm doing this because I'm going to have a lot of time to myself in the next couple... Well, I mean, I'll be travelling with my brother, but in the evenings... and How long certainly is he going to be here? In Reno. Um, he's going to be in your part of the world after he spends time with me, so he's here for a month in total, of which I'm spending ten days with him. And how many days has he been with you now? I've already spent two and a half days. Actually, oh, that's not true. I've spent nine days. Oh, so he's now. there now. Okay. No, he's in he's in Tahoe currently, skiing with uh, a friend of his. Ah, okay. But I mean, he's he's using your place as a sort of home. home no, where it's um one way eight nine hours to Tahoe. So no, he's not at all. He spent okay. two and a half days here, and he's not coming back here. Oh, okay. I mean, We're, at all or until not late? at all. Not at all. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, then um, we're spending 
six or seven days together in the Bay Area, and then he's going down to your part of the world. And so, then, yeah. And what are you going to do? Do you have business in the Bay Area, or are you just going? Well, I mean, I'm meeting guys the, to have something to do. Something to do, really. I mean, I'm meeting the folks at Apple, and that's always kind of curious because. I'm going to give them copies of my 1993 writing as a means of saying, this is why I haven't been so productive in Noble Ape over the past year here. Um, but uh, no, aside from that, in fact, it's it's quite funny because every time we had this discussion when I went to give the talks last time, I know a lot of people in the Bay Area that can't make the time to see me when I'm in the Bay Area. So we are having put out, um, uh, you know, we're going to be here, here. Do you want to get together at least for a coffee, what have you? I got a very limited response to that, which is in large part due to the current, um, I don't know, it's very much the winter for the artificial life community currently. And I'm trying to, keep that alive as much as possible with the Biota uh, podcasts. But when you have model rail radio in are contrast... There, I'm curious about the artificial life community. Is there only one, or are there... Are, so there's it, an academic community, yeah. and there's a hobbyist community, and really the two overlap very slightly. And that's it? There's no other uh, conglomeration of people who are doing stuff that could be called that? But So there's the wet artificial life folk, which... A majority of those folk would be academics, but there is some use in industry as well. The industry group is not particularly well-tracked. Um, some kind of come into the academic community, some come into the hobbyist community. There is also an artificial life artist community, and they are very much about creating quite abstract, well, actually the full breadth of art, yeah. but with some connection to artificial life. And they are probably the largest community. Um, in any meaningful sense. They hold annual competitions that have tens, if not hundreds, of entries that net substantial prize money. It's sponsored by um, a large Spanish telecommunications firm. It's called uh, Vida Artificial, or the Vida Prize, um, which is an annual arts prize that they do for artificial life art. Um, so, yeah, probably the art community would be the biggest. Um, then I That's think really that a surprise to me. I... Well, a large part of it is Spanish-speaking as well, which is really quite curious because the non-art artificial life community is pretty heavily English-speaking. There are some Japanese developers, some Eastern European um, and Russian uh, artificial life developers, very few in Africa. Uh, but a majority of the academic... Well, actually, there's a substantial Scandinavian academic component associated with artificial life as well. So, well, what are, let, me, let me ask a question, because it would seem... I'm thinking that one of the communities are, are the people who are looking, you know, to engineer bacteria to, to produce gasoline or something like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's in, within the artificial life community, that kind so of I would stuff. consider part of that as the academic community and part of that as the industrial community. The industrial community has a large proprietary component, which means that they're yeah. not quite as public as yeah, the actual sure. sort. I the would hobbyists. think there's probably a lot of work going on in that area, but you'd there's nobody so talking about it, though. You'd <laughs> think so reading Kurzweil. Well, the funny thing is that we've had various vents on the hop from the biota community with that group as well. I, I would tend to agree with you. I think they're probably, they exist a lot more in press releases than they exist in reality. I think there's probably a smaller number just because we would see a lot more of their work if they were, there were larger numbers. And in terms of even, I mean, 
even folks that work in relatively quiet areas of uh, pharmaceutical or astro, you know, astro space or what have yeah. you, they are. Um, they still come to conferences and there's a community, and I guess there probably is that community um, within the Wet Artificial Life, um, you know, section. But the, I mean, the group that I am tracking is far more associated with emerging social science, computa- even computational yeah. linguistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and robotics then gets involved in this, too, in a lot of ways. So there's hard artificial life, yeah. too, um, and they are increasingly a thing. Well, they were always really a thing in and of themselves. The interesting group has been the interface crowd, which basically says that you can write interfaces which, are, which map soft artificial life into hard artificial life into wet artificial life. Uh, and that is a curious phenomenon. Um, but I'm finding, I mean, I have in front of me the Artificial Life Journal, which is the MIT Press um, publication, which is the, the primary academic publication for the artificial life community, although increasingly there are a number of IEEE and other uh, academic publications that cover it. And I've not, I mean, I've been, I've been a subscriber and a member of the International Society of Artificial Life for probably about five or six years now. And I've never seen such a thin issue. Um, I think really the um, the nature of artificial life in terms of economic sponsorship, uh, the way it's funded from universities, and even the way hobbyists deal with it uh, means that if things aren't relatively positive economically, there are probably less folk that are going to be involved with artificial life. It is very much seen as being frivolous. Um, it's probably it. self-funded, I would imagine, by the hobbyist community. No, the ho- well, the hobbyist community is, and what's interesting is that there are a good number of the hobbyists that are kind of going underground, myself included. I spent, um, in the past week, I spent probably about eight hours working on Noble 8, and I do get genuine enjoyment from it. Uh, but certainly in the past year, I've been focusing more on this 93 writing and doing other things like, for example, Stone Age. Uh, yeah, and the stuff more that I, fun. <laughs> well, the stuff that I feel is probably... I mean, I've reached... I have this keen sense that I've reached almost all the people I can reach through artificial life. Yeah. Currently. I think maybe in 10 years' time, if I wrote or if I did other things, I could reach a new generation. I have a vast amount of audio out there already yeah. for people that want to discover it, that want to go out and get well, maybe it. Maybe you're just through with it. You I don't know, think I'm. It's a lot. Yeah, I think I'm the the politics and the uh, you see the thing about model rail radio is it's being in large part a stark contrast to the stuff that I've done with Biota. There's obviously some underlying politics and some underlying nonsense and some characters and just general you know stuff, human stuff that goes on. Uh, but in general, it has shown rapid growth, rapid interest, and really a positive community. Yeah. And funnily enough, so there was this thing that went on in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I've actually started seeing photographs of the people that listen to Model Rail Radio and getting a keen sense that it really is a demographic from the mid to late 30s up to probably the 70s uh, in terms of men who are all professional kind of all engineering. Men? I've not. We've not had a single female. Not okay. There's one out there somewhere. I've got a, let me. I. I don't even think it's. Yeah. There are a few. There are a few uh, female 
Uh, Model Rail. And see them down there with their engineer's hat. <laughs> hey, I like that very much. Um, there's a NASA. Um, she's not NASA now. She um, she works with one of the space uh, industries, and she um, they have this classification. They have this series of classifications. The National Model Railroaders Association is meeting in Las Vegas at the end of this month. And I've been invited to, I'll probably be at work, so I might just go to an evening meal and actually meet these men. But they have a certification which is Master Model Railroader. And you need to do, they have seven possibilities and you need to do five (laughs) of these to a point of excellence. And then they'll give you this certification. And How there long one... has this organization been in existence? Oh, um, I've got my paperwork somewhere here. I had to join so I could actually go to this meeting. I'm not much of a joiner of these kind of things. I think it's been 75 years at the National Model Railroad Association. Something like that. 75 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is very much a hobby that really started in the 1920s. I mean, it was really a kind of uh, riding the boom to the early parts of the Depression, and then basically everyone started, they, they were interested made it themselves. So even up till the early 40s, the start of the Second World War, all the model rail literature that you find is about building your own electric engines out of old toaster ovens, things like that. I mean, it really is very much a kind of hodgepodge of if you can make a cylinder and stick wheels on it, you've got a train. Um, And then obviously it became considerably more commercialised through the 80s, through the second baby boom, what's the term? There's a, there's a term associated with that, but, you know... The, well, the baby I had a railroad when I was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But that was in the day when you, you just went and bought it. I mean, I think my dad actually made, uh, you know, the chicken wire and paper mache stuff. <laughs> but, you know, the track and all that other stuff, you just went to the model railroad, right? <laughs> model store. Certainly. Did you have that too when you were a kid? I had. I even. I even have a bit of it here. The probably one of the, the two. Probably the two. You know, from the gift giving season, the two best presents that I received. One was a bike, which just enabled me to get out, and the other was. Um, I think a model train set. I'm trying to think if I received a better gift. You know, I you, have really fond memories of. Of that train set. I haven't thought about that in probably 40 or 50 years, you know, and all of a sudden you've recalled that. And I remember two really distinct feelings. There was something magical about it. We had it out in the garage, and I went out there at night sometimes and let the, and the, you know, it had a little light, headlight in the train. And I'd watch it go around, you know, at night when it's dark in there. And, that used to was really sort of magical, but on the other hand, I I never really, you know, I was there was part of me that was always disappointed with it, yeah, <laughs> you know that yeah this is cool, but <laughs> it, it it don't make it you know yeah I yeah. think there's there's a very keen distinction between people and I I have periodic conversations with people about what model rail radio is. And nearly all of them, if, if they're men typically, will have exactly the same reaction that you have described. Oh, yes, I had a train. Oh, yes, I just know the magic, but it didn't really captivate me. And the remainder are the model rail radio listening audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, who remain captivated. 
Yes. Yeah. But the thing that strikes me, there's a fellow who I've recently discovered um, who's um, in Newark, New Jersey, and he will, he may be appearing on Next Model Rail Radio or one following on. His name is not this. This is a pseudonym, and I found this out. I'll explain how I found this out. But he goes by the name of Al Mayo on YouTube, and he is the um, he's kind of the hip hop model railroader. He kind of takes um, what I guess would be called urban culture and maps it onto uh, model railroading. <laughs> oh, and, an obvious match. <laughs> and so it's wonderful. So I, I get to listen to my you know favorite eighties hip hop together with model railroading tips all in one. He's a very curious character, and he makes the point that um, in fact there are there are a number of African Americans in model railroading. There is not really any. Um, any kind of apparent, you know... I mean, yeah, I don't it's, really no, it's crazy it. people who are crazy about railroads. They could exactly. come from anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> That's so, what's so beautiful about yeah, it. Yeah. He, he makes the point that he's in a vast minority, but then in a number of his videos, he has a number of, you know, African-American model railroading friends that uh, appear. <laughs> so I think the, the interesting underlying narrative with this is that um, he... Basically, I think he purchases deceased estates and then resells them. So this is very much his business. Uh, and he has video footage of some of the stuff that he's picked up uh, through these things. And he makes the notes. He only releases videos of stuff that he's picked up and already resold. Because, uh, I don't know, the whole Newark mentality, the whole New Jersey or these these urban cities is something that I I guess, you know, you see elements of that in parts of L.A., but I've never really felt that. Even I mean, are you I've talking s- about capitalism? No, I'm talking about the mentality of constantly fearing theft. Oh, really? The, the sense that you're constantly going to be robbed, stuck up. You know, you're really, you're really. Possess- <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is the this is the uh, mentality that he he kind of uh, you know you get a sense, um, and I think that yeah. part is very much part of kind of hip-hop culture in some regard, this notion of volatility and, you know, even going back to Grandmaster Flash as the message, don't push me because I'm close to the edge, you know, that kind of thing. And I think um, he embodies elements of that as well. It's kind of curious the, 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 because of where, you know, the, the Newark mentality is such a thing exists at uh, a model route. No, you're absolutely, that, that, you, you, I haven't thought about that before either. I'm, I'm almost speechless, actually. It's very much akin to your description of um, robbing a kid at knife point. I mean, I think that mentality basically continues from a, a majority of the population in these oh, kind yeah. of conditions, the yeah. sense that um, they're either going to be stuck up or, or stuck, basically. Yeah. In, uh, I think in that the- was, I don't know, that was really aberrant. You know, when I, and I look at that, I don't, I don't know anybody. Well, I don't know what other people did. I don't know. You know, I haven't thought about that for a while either. But I, you know, as you bring that up, and I'm thinking, why did I do that? Mm. You know, I mean, what, what the fuck was going through my head? <laughs> That I would the do thing, something like that, you know. The I mean, thing that's, that that's me about what I that. said is how brain damaged I am. <laughs> you, I mean, that is just so fucked up. 
But the point that I wanted to make is that I think there are still, and this is the notion of the ghetto mentality, that there are people that will survive in these environments and never move from that childlike notion that they're going to be We're all robbed deeply or... brain damaged. Very much so. Absolutely, and it's deep. You're, I'm right. I mean, this is, <laughs> it's terrifying. I mean, yeah. because talking about it doesn't change it. No, very much. But, I mean, well, no, uh, well not much. And most Talking people don't really even want to talk about it. it. I mean, when you talk about it, you at least acknowledge it. That's and you helpful. Can move on you're that. right. You can, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's better to talk yeah. about it. Most people really seriously resist even talking about this to themselves, let alone mm. anybody else. So coming from outside the U.S., and certainly I've had this conversation with my brother since he's been here, the notion of gun violence in terms of robbery and these kind of things, I really, I've never, even walking through the supposedly mean streets of New York at 2 a.m., felt in fear of my life. Uh-huh. And I've never, and this is, I think this is my own pathology. I don't, I think I, I Your really... Your amygdala is challenged. Yeah, I really have a, <laughs> a problem, and I will do this, and I have to caution myself, particularly when I'm in large groups of people. Because I really have no fear asking uh, aggressive and somewhat stupid questions, and really these kind of things I have to stop myself <laughs> yeah. from doing. Yeah. But I do understand, and a large part of it is due to my size. I guess I felt more recently, particularly looking at my wife's grandmother's body, or at least her torso and her hand, that I really need to start realizing that there are things out there that could, you know, cause you can quite die. serious, uh, without question. Yes. Um, you but say I the think, wrong thing to the wrong person at yeah. the wrong time, and you'll yeah. be dead. Yeah. But this is very much this notion of the being stuck up kind of thing. And I think the the perspective that I have, I mean, I've, I've thought about this, and typically it occurs to me in the shower. I don't know why. I've had this conversation with my wife as well, and I said, when do you think about home invasion? And she says, typically when I'm in the shower. <laughs> when I'm in the shower, of course. <laughs> yeah, the only time that one ever really considers this is when one's in the shower. And I guess my own sense is that I feel probably that I could beat someone down even naked. Well, if you still, had to, yeah. have you ever had uh, an... I've been in a situation like that, sort of. Hmm. And, and I can tell you, you don't have to worry about it. Because when it when it gets right down to it, yeah. uh, and once the adrenaline kicks in, it doesn't make any difference. Exactly. You know, you're gonna do you do what you got to do, and if you die or they die, fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm I you have... are big, and uh, you probably will do well if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I guess yeah, it is. Um... It is a, so this fellow's videos have really deconstructed this because he's, as, as a number of folks do, he has a little, well, not even a little, he's excavated his basement, um, in order to have a, a train layout. So this situation in Egypt, this is something that I've been thinking about, particularly with regards to the circumstances in Iran and all the various other situations where you've had riots and then basically it's just gone back to well Romania is the perfect example of this. I, I don't think we've ever talked about Romania but um, my ancestry actually comes from Romania in theory, I mean that's what half the nuts who contact me with similar surnames to me actually say and my mother's sympathetic to it I guess my father is kind of semi-sympathetic to it as well and the thing that strikes me about Romania um, was the time that the uh, 
the ousting of Ceausescu happened, I had also just discovered backwards music. And there's a section when you play the Beatles back in the USSR where they actually repeat the word Ceausescu a couple of times, which I found very curious around the time that Ceausescu was being shown shot on the front of all major newspapers. I'm not sure if he was shown... The death footage was actually shown in Australia, which is a child of... I don't know. Let's do the reverse math here. I must have been about 13 or 14. But it, and since then, the um, there's a full YouTube account of um, the trial and the execution as well. Uh, and that whole imagery associated with just a massive population kind of literally running in, grabbing the president... Uh, conducting a mock trial for about two days, killing him um, by firing squad, showing the footage of him being killed by firing squad, death photos on every major newspaper, and then basically a whole load of kind of bearded communist nuts coming in and just replacing him. It's sort of left me with a sense that... Um, it's them people, wacky humans. Well, people's revolutions really... I don't know, I mean... You know, the, the vision of the people's revolution in these circumstances, particularly recently Iran, just, and I'm not talking about Iran 1979, I'm talking about Iran 19, or 2000, and I guess 2009. One of my wife's sister's wacky Iranian friends has named their child Neda after the woman who was yeah. shot on YouTube. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether you give a kid a name that's a tough one well i always wondered why people named their kid cassandra Mm. you know i mean what the fuck is that all about man (laughs) true true really going out of your way on that one i mean i can understand that (laughs) yeah yeah but i guess the thing that strikes me about egypt and particularly the whole perturbation and u.s influence i had uh, probably half a dozen political conversations with my brother while he was here, and one of them just identified the immense futility of these circumstances, that uh, people have a lot of energy, but then what what is replaced by their energy oftentimes is something that is still questionable, just a different kind of questionable. Um, and I really have strong... And now that was so abstract, I have no idea what that was about. Okay, so... so that one again. Okay, so... Cuba. Let's start with Cuba. So, basically, the past 200 years of Cuba is just constant repression of the people, small uprisings, different countries colonizing. And then in the mid-50s, there was an enterprise that was just so corrupt and funded by the mafia that eventually, and the history, I mean, we've both seen the same, we've both seen the same footage and uh, stuff associated with, uh, with uh, Che et al. Uh, then you have Castro, who initially was able to court a wide variety of parties, uh, which is really quite curious in and of itself, because he wasn't originally communist at all. And then, you know, you have the circumstances, which in large part is, you know, emphasised by American foreign policy as well, Bay of Pigs et al. But really, I just don't see that there's any kind of emergence of humanity on either side um, through this kind of, you know, circumstance. And really, it just came to a hyper-politicisation. The only thing that's going to work is when humans wake up from the trance. Hmm. You know, mm. just replacing one group of thugs with another group of thugs 
you know, with a different ideology isn't going to make any difference. Well, it's going to make some difference, but it's not going to solve the real problem, which is that, well, you know, you're my standard answer. Mm, Say exactly. it for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's them. <laughs> some language monkeys. Them with language, monkeys, language monkeys, you know. Yes. Uh, you can't run a global high-tech civilization with a bunch of language monkeys. Yeah. They're just not up to it. Yeah. But they're still pulling the levers. Right. For, well, for a little time more, yes. Yeah. It's going to be, and it could be ugly. But. So it, it then begs the question how, and I think of this with regards to the PLO and the IRA, because the PLO and the IRA have gotten political legitimacy after 30 years of blowing up planes, shooting people, and doing a wide variety of things which were counter-pacifist. Uh, and almost every level, vastly politically corrupt, you know, getting funneling money into a wide variety of different uh, dubious groups. Well, just a but little then, bit, you know. Then mysteriously, <laughs> then mysteriously, they become normal politicians and go on to lead countries. And I think the versus, but, and that surprises you. It doesn't surprise me. I guess my point is, where is the where is the mechanism that actually gets? A popular movement into something that is no, that's what I'm saying is it's no popular movement populated by language monkeys is ever going to work okay we need we you know we don't need leaders we need conscious thinking uh, citizens of earth who are capable of organizing themselves and acting coherently now, I know that's asking a lot but I don't see anything short of that working so, but you do see some positive aspects in large groups congregating, asking for the existing powers to go. Well, I think that this is the... Pro I don't know what's going on. I mean, there are lots of ways to look at, at the current events, and I mean, in every area, and it all seems like it's getting increasingly chaotic, and it all looks really good to me. Oh. You know, I think what we're seeing is the collapse of the last uh, 6,000 years of of culture and the emergence of the first global civilization and mm. it's going to be traumatic mm. yeah you remain hopeful of that oh yes i think it's inevitable yeah. i think the only question is is just how bad is it going to get before it gets before you know people wake up yeah i think yeah, i I see things slightly differently in terms of these constant iterations that basically yield the same conclusions. I don't see the conclusions really getting any better in terms of what you're describing for, for conscious folk. But I do agree with you in part that maybe the numbers of conscious folk at least are increasing somewhat. Well, I don't understand. Wait, I'm not quite... I didn't really understand what you disagree with. What is it that okay. you disagree with? I think that in terms of the power structure progression, I'm not seeing the same possibilities of... Well, even in the next 30 to 50 years... Uh -huh. As, as you describe, I do, however, see... I didn't describe any. You're, whatever you're objecting to is something you've invented. No, it's what you talk about. What you talk about the, the, the emergence of a new culture within the next 30 to 50 years. Isn't that part of the Heronstone, you know... Doctrine. 
Uh, oh, well, did yeah, you that sounds, like that? oh, no, you said that very well. Yeah, I'd say that's, yeah, that's, that's one okay. way to say so it. I, yeah, I, don't, I think it will probably can be considerably longer than that. And I think that it's certainly not even, you know, if I have children within their grandchildren's lifetime. Oh, what okay. interests me, however, is once you have this discussion, you then start, and this is something which you've, Previously we're just repeat. talking about the time frame. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the price, not whether you're a whore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess the, 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 the more interesting thing is that once you have a group of, as you described, this, this conscious group of people, yeah. what, well, do they just kind of twiddle their thumbs oh, for I the am- next how long it takes, or do they actually start looking at means of uh, being post- post butterfly or do they i mean and, and this i think is the fascinating part mm-hmm. which has very little interest in some of what you say but actually seems to be very primary in other things that you say mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's going to be very curious my interest is is there a social mechanism currently irrespective of the monkey status of the individuals involved mm-hmm. that can at least eliminate the constant cycling from despot to despot to despot. And I think that there exists some way in parallel in the West as it does in the Middle East, as it does in Africa, as it does in South America. I think it's a universal phenomenon. I think we have slightly different... Um, you, it's, I think it's very much plus and minus. It's very much um, the kind of third world anthropologist view that what you get in technology is actually in large part isolation in some regard in terms of your ability to survive in the short term, but what you get in the long term is socialization on a broader platform. So it's kind of a plus-minus thing, and I think the problems that exist in South America currently or uh, you know parts of the Middle East or these kind of things are very different problems than the problems that we face, but I think that they are cumulatively probably of equal weighting on some level. Have you seen, uh, you must have heard of the, the new Zeitgeist movie. Yeah. Okay, have you seen it? No. No, I'm sorry. Would I have interest in yeah. seeing it? Um, uh, on a long flight, perhaps. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I am going to suggest that you actually watch it. Now, it's nothing new to you or me, but it's, you ha- well, this is the same argument we have about Ted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe you should forget it. I think it's I think it's a great movie, and I think a lot of people should watch it. Yeah, uh, I think. And 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 if a lot of people watch it, there are a few of them that are going to have their lives changed by it. Yeah. So. It's a Ted conversation. Yes. Yeah. No, well, you have to decide what you're going to do with your time, right? Yeah. There's nothing new there for you, probably, except. Attitude. Maybe that's it. An it's attitude. The, the facts. You you got all the facts. Uh-huh. So uh, let me put it to you this way: in terms of what I'm doing with my own writing, be it both cathartic and also potentially influencing maybe even half a dozen minds in the future, I think my time is probably better spent doing this level of catharsis currently than exploring uh, drummer's um, kind of continued project in some very real sense. And I, I would put to you that the way that I allocate my time currently is in large part selfish, but also it immunes me from a level of, I guess, disenchantment. I mean, 
I'm I'm not even a um, a bruised romantic in this regard. I very easily get captivated by social groups that I have no interest in actually entertaining. In large part, actually, what has happened with this model rail thing is that I've been captivated <laughs> by certain aspects of it and then kind of drawn in by default. Although I don't have a model railroad, and um, <laughs> although I have I have recently purchased. Uh, Al, one of Al Mayo's graffiti cars, as you'll see from the thing, and so I mean I do have some interest in these communities, but I'm not I'm not committed to them. And the thing that really concerns me about the Zeitgeist movement, from your discussions, and you claim very well, and I think you're probably quite correct, to have really picked out from the Heronstone and Tom Barley perspective the cream of the Zeitgeist crop oh, in terms of interact with you. I still unfortunately feel that they are. Um, not a community that really. I I think I'm probably better. Listen, spent there are many the, things they're I, not. Listen, I, I, yeah. I, you and I have no quarrel about that. I just, you know, again, there are many things Ted is not, but I think yeah. it's a good force in the world. Yeah. So okay. I think so. What we, even what though we I don't do spend much time there, <laughs> but you spend a good portion of time with the Zeitgeist folk. Well, talking to people, yes. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the Zeitgeist movement. Yeah. It's so I guess that's, that's where I mean, you've probably heard me say, you know, that's a great place because, you know, like only like 80% of the people there are morons. Mm. It's a no brainer to go there. Well, that's what I use podcasting for. I mean, in some regard. And also that's what I use writing for. And that's what I do yeah. is that, uh, my view is that that will bring that will bring the others that will do the. Uh... All I can do is talk. I can't write yet. I'm still <laughs> struggling with writing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, if I could write, uh, that would that would help. But but actually, it's it's working talking. You know, mm. I'm I'm beginning to meet some interesting people. Mm. I guess the the next stage, which is what we've both discussed, is finding a degree of self sufficiency through this. And if you think that there's some aspect of the like the new most recent Zeitgeist movie that would tune my attitude towards that then I might be sympathetic oh. to investing some time with the view that I'm going to have um, some time, at least when I'm in Reno, where I won't be writing. Well, I would say if you have absolutely nothing better to do, <laughs> then it's, it's two hours and 41 minutes oh, long. It's long, oh, oh. although it does break nicely into four parts that are sort of independent. So you okay. could, they're like 40-minute segments or something. Okay. Well, as you've given the plots away to numerous films that you've then recommended, I mean, I get the sense of what this thing will be about anyway. But um, for now, I'm going to very selfishly uh, stick with my own writing yeah, and well, also continue to pursue uh, these conversations. And also, yeah. truth be told, I would probably invest more than that time in a week listening to some of your other conversations as well. However, I'm doing that in an environment where I'm also earning an income, uh, so I do have that luxury. I can't watch a film and an income. Yeah, I understand. It, there are only so, so many minutes in a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, in that regard, but I would be sympathetic if you could distill that thought, or even if listeners to this who yeah. have seen I guess maybe could distill that thought yeah. and uh, barter for my time here. Um, because I, you know, I'm sympathetic to a lot of this stuff. The thing that concerns me about it is that a vast amount of energy is spent in these movements for goals. Well, not even goals. That it's just, you know, for kind of freewheeling energy. 
And I'm much more interested in focused energy, or more importantly, identifying and exploring uh, paradoxes that don't need to be explored in the future, which really is somewhat a summary of the four or five stupidities, depending on who you're talking to. Um, so, yeah, I'm sympathetic to it. Um, See, I'm there because I'm, I consider myself to be an agent of evolution. And the chances of me meeting other agents of evolution on that particular uh, TeamSpeak server is so much higher than almost anything else I can imagine. Mm. And if you can show me a better place to go where I can find a higher percentage of mm. people who are beginning to think and question and ask stuff, mm-hmm. then please tell me where it is. I think it's here. I mean, I think actually... With you? Oh, so you're... What you've seen, no, 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 no. But I think what you've seen in terms of Stone Ape and in terms of the ability to actually tune your message about discussing a wide variety of different topics and not repeating well, Why don't we things. do this on TeamSpeak then? We can um, do this just I'm as easily in TeamSpeak. I'm sympathetic to that in some regard, but then it becomes an internet radio show. It isn't just you no, and me it, talking. No, no, it doesn't become... It's whatever the hell we say it is. Well, I, I would agree in part. But no, I think what do you mean in kind of, part? Who's well, going to no, control was, what happens in that room? Well, there's an... Inf- well, okay, so we could do it completely informally, which means that people become very intimately aware with the various eccentricities of both our lives in terms of when we actually record this and the kind of toing and froing and negotiation associated ah, with actually oh, coming together. Okay. Well, well, we could do it as... Okay, I got you. Yeah, that would so change I, it for sure. Yeah, for so the notion that we could have people that would actually turn up to listen to this would need the kind of committed time that was agreed upon so others could kind of join and the kind of haphazard nature. And I would well, hate minute, to we're think... We're talking about people from all over the world here. Uh, there isn't just, any one really great time zone. I can... That's not a hard one to figure out. So I think what we actually do in terms of the discussion at least sparks interest. And I guess you've probably done this previously, and I don't necessarily want to poo-poo your previous, or the the format that you continue. But I think the nature of focused discussion uh, and diversity of discussion and these kind of things, and also the kind of people that listen to podcasts in a kind of periodic sense, tends to mean that... Um, well, I mean, from my own perspective, I am really eulogizing my own, you know, the format that I've discovered. But I think probably in terms of just the diversity and also keyword finding, I mean, for example, a fellow who found us from searching the matrix on um, on iTunes and these kind of things, is that eventually you'll get the right ears for putting out this kind of content. And um, maybe yeah. part of that is also associated with writing show notes. Because show notes at least then become Google searchable, which means that people are searching for a wide variety of eclectic topics could also find this discussion and then pick it up. That's an interesting uh, observation. So I guess my feeling is that you found an area which is passively sympathetic, but what we do in terms of putting these ideas out in podcast form as a start and then potentially searchable text and this kind of stuff will, will gather other people as well. Um, I guess my main concern is the Zeitgeist movement is independent of both of us, particularly independent of you, and you do give a lot of, um, I don't know, positive energy towards it to things that are certainly from our prior discussion, my experience of the Zeitgeist Uh movement, you wouldn't normally be sympathetic to. Um, Oh, no, I I wouldn't be sympathetic or... Oh, no, I think I... Well, from what I know about it, from the people I've met there, mm-hmm. and from the videos I've seen and Jacques stuff, 
I mean, I've looked into it. There's nothing there I, you know, would really disagree with uh, deeply, you know. I think it's good. I think what, again, it's like the TED stuff. I think they're doing a good thing. They're, they're talking about stuff that needs to be talked about. I mean, the issues they're raising are generally not even considered in the mass media or in anybody's kitchen. But certainly the exposure that I've had to Zeitgeist up until this time is that they are still part of very much what you would consider caterpillar problems. Uh, No, I think that's part of it. I think they've got a theory of the caterpillar. I mean, listen, I'm not not even going to try to justify whatever they... I mean, because it's just a bunch of people. There isn't any dogma there. I mean, there's Peter Joseph and there's Jacques Fresco and Roxanne, whatever her name is. Those three are clearly the ones who are setting the agenda. You know, but it's not been... Spell, you know. I mean, there's just a bunch of ideas that pe- that other people, you know. And Peter Joseph's a pretty good filmmaker, and you know, and it's just this thing going on where there's a lot of energy there. And I've met some really interesting people there, much more interesting than what I usually see when I go to Starbucks. Yeah, but that's, I guess, yeah. I, I mean, uh, we're not really. I mean, our arguments are not even really. I mean, there's there's no real intersection of disagreement here. Um, I guess, I guess, yeah, my view is always to, you know, if I have ideas, I'll remain independent, um, and, and put those ideas out. And I guess I have strong concerns from what I've seen already, um, in terms of the zeitgeist, uh, and I would, from what I've seen initially, I would disagree with your point about Peter Joseph's filmmaking ability, I think you're extremely sympathetic to the narrative of some guy who just wanted to put on a film for, you no, know, I'm ta- his well, No, I'm talking about uh, the latest movie. for. Okay, oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, that so, first... Yeah. 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 So I think the, the nature... I mean, even when you, talk, when you talk to anyone that does this kind of uh, even performance art, their dream is to have the Peter Joseph phenomena in terms of being picked up and absorbed and all this kind of stuff. And I think he's been relatively successful in what he's done. But the narrative associated with the creation and early phases and all this kind of stuff, I find really quite curious. And it doesn't in any way gel with any of the other you know movements that I've seen evolve like this. But coming from that, you're now dealing with a contemporary thing that has a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, you know humans involved with it, or at least a number of humans. <laughs> a lot involved. of humans. It's nothing well, but humans. That's all there is. <laughs> that's well. The, 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 this is exactly in large part my concern here. Um, so yeah, I, I'm actually quite sympathetic to maintaining this format. I'm more sympathetic actually to joining you on talk show on a semi-regular basis because that is. In terms okay. of really, oh, I see what you mean. yeah, that would work just as well. Yeah, yeah that in terms of uh, really vile and opposing forces to us both, we're at least then surrounded by bitter enemies. Um, well, as long as we can control the microphones, <laughs> then we're, yeah. we're, all, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm more sympathetic to that because that oh, has yeah, no, I like that idea. Yeah. So that has, so, but then, then really it, it completely obliterates the format that we've created so far and creates oh, something. Oh yeah, that's a whole different like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, um, in particular, and this is really a kind yeah, of well, Actually, place. you know, it doesn't need to be, because we could just start off by just doing what we do here, 
and just block, turn off all the mics. And if people want to talk, they can write to us and tell us why we should turn on their mic. Yeah. You see, but that's the that's very much your old format, and that really kind of goes against the nature of firstly what I've tried to do with Model Rail Radio, but also what we're trying to oh, and Biota and all these other yeah. things, but also what we're doing here. So yeah, but those I, things all have a focus. This doesn't. Mm. So you're going to just get all sorts of people with all sorts of agendas and a lot of nuts. <laughs> and, you know, and it could get out of hand real quick. I agree. So I guess what what we really need here, similar to <laughs> the two Scrooges, is some external arbitration associated with this whole concept. Well, it's so something to play with. We could just do it. Yeah. We could just do the same thing we're doing here. We could just do it there, leave all the mics off, and just do mm. it there, and then see what happens. Mm. You know, if someone texts and wants to turn, or if someone dials in, we could turn their yeah. mic on. We could do anything we want to. Or whoever starts the room can do anything they want to. Certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, I guess it's just a different thing. In fact, so- I like that idea. I mean, right now, imagine if if there were t- we knew there were ten people listening to this, but their mics are all muted, yeah. and they're typing. But again, this is something that you fought against initially with the format because you didn't actually want to have well, external. I, well, I, no, I I plan to hide that window. I'm not going to look at it. Mm-hmm. That's your job. That's, you're oh, the guy, I see. You're ah. the guy who takes care of all that shit. Ah, <laughs> oh, very good, Aaron. Okay, so That's so now we're like four, Tom. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> well, um, I've run out of topics, Aaron. Well, you know, I actually kind of like this idea. Of, <laughs> I mean, I'm quite serious. We, why couldn't we, do, instead of doing this in Skype next time, why couldn't mm-hmm. we just as easily do it uh, in talk show? The quality, the audio quality is conservative. It's, it's not quite as good, but uh, yeah. it'll work. Here's the other aspect with regards. Uh, I... I mean, just recording on a regular basis with Model Rail Radio creates a certain degree of marital friction. And the ability to actually do this informally and the way that we do it currently enables me to do it. For example, my wife is currently teaching, yeah. so it's it's easy for us to record now because we she's can not do the, That doesn't have to change. We don't have to do it on a So schedule. we can do some random talk shoe That's thing. That's right. And then we can have, like, Grateful Dead heads, people that follow... We can have two Scrooge We can do anything but, we uh, want to. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't have to be either or. We can still have our talks just like mm. we could do, but we could do something entirely different. So this is, this is I guess, the, um, this is the quality time issue that I have some concern ah, with. Ah, yes. Yes, it does take time. Basically, what, what, yeah, I'm, I'm sympathetic to moving it to a talk show format, aside from the fact that, I think very quickly we would be distracted, and I think that might actually no, impact. No, we can control. You can control that. You can literally hide the window. And yeah, I've done that. I mean, I've done that with Bias Alive, and I've done that when I've okay, been talking. Okay, well, so don't say that we'll be distracted <laughs> because if we choose not to be distracted, we won't be. Okay, let's put this out. That's to a listen. choice. That's a choice let's that we will have. have. Well, certainly next week the format is going to be exactly the same because I sure. will be on no, Skype and I will be remote. No, we should so, talk about uh, this. Actually, we should. it's good. We should think about this for a week. I'll bet you we'll both come up. I have to take this call, Heron. Let's just, uh, sorry. Hi. Okay, will do.
Love you. Sorry about that, Heron. I love you too. <laughs> Very good, Heron. Very good. That's the end of this one. This week, folks. I'm done here. I've got no more material. So, Heron. listen, I, I, I'm quite serious about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think we should rush into this. I think this is a, an interesting idea. Is what could you and I do in Talkshoe that would be different than what we're doing right now? And it doesn't. Oh, I think we could do a number of things. I'm not arguing with that point. In fact, I'm actually quite sympathetic to it. My concern really is that the quality of time that I give you through here Mm -hmm. is, in some regard, limited. And I don't think it's necessarily the case that uh, we could do this plus something else. Okay. uh, Okay. Plus other things. I got it. Okay. My concern is really alternate. What I'm more interested in is the potential of, for example, uh, other listeners, other participants to have these kind of discussions with you, and that could occur in talk show with me coming in periodically, perhaps. But I think realistically, I'm getting to the kind of point of criticality with the number of podcasts that I do. I would think so. And my my concern really is that we can utilize this format very well. Give me some time to think on it. Let's get some. I'm in the, listen, I'm quite happy. Again, I don't think of these as podcasts. These are <laughs> conversations that I have with you, Very and uh, and, and it happens to stuff. serve both okay. of our <laughs> uses. So. Needs, yes. Yeah. Very good, Heron. Well, you will be speaking to me next week in Reno. I will be in a very different place. The audio quality will hopefully be. Well, and hopefully I will have some topics as I, maybe you will as well. We shall see. A pleasure as always, Heron. Good Good night. night.